All right, guys. Last episode, we were talking about San Diego Comic-Con. We're continuing our conversation about our trip to San Diego and Comic-Con 2017 and all the crazy stuff we saw there. Before we get started, I want to do a big shout out to all our fans, everybody who's been talking to us on Facebook, and especially our international fans. It's really humbling when you find out that people are listening to your podcast all over the world. We got to give a shout out to the people in Japan who are listening, the people in Harlem, Netherlands who are listening, the people in Australia who are listening, our friends in the UK, the guys at 20th Century Geek. Rumi and I have always said that even if nobody listened to it, it would just be fun to have these conversations and record them and laugh and make each other crack up. But it's awesome to know that other people all over the world are having fun with us. So appreciate it. Thanks, you guys. Thank you to all our listeners. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at LaunchpadPod. And here we go, another episode about our adventures at San Diego Comic-Con. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, So, Rumi, I mean, Comic-Con, there's a there's a lot of walking around. There's a lot of walking around, a lot of looking at stuff, a lot of people watching. But every now and then, you just got to take take a load off because your dogs are barking, your feet are hurting, and, and you need to, to rest a little bit. So that's when we would find a good time to go, go hop in a panel. One panel we went to uh, that I was actually pretty jazzed for was uh, a, a conversation about heroes and creating heroes and stuff from Frank Miller – and a guy named Tony D. I might be pronouncing it wrong, but Tony D. Trelizzi. He does, you know, there's a, the, the children's book, The Spiderwick Chronicles. Yeah. He does all that. It's very Brian Froud esque um, art, uh, art. Well, uh, he also did, and the only reason I recognize it is because he did all the D&D illustrations from when I was in high school playing mm-hmm. a lot of D&D. And he, he talked about that too, which is pretty yeah. cool. Um, so two very different artists, very different creators, but uh, Frank Miller has done some of my absolute favorite stuff. I know that's so freaking cliche to say, but it is so true. Um, he really has done some amazing shit. And uh, I don't know that I've ever seen him in person before, so I thought that was pretty cool. So we went, and it was not nearly as crowded a panel as I thought it would be, so we went. Uh, we thought it was pretty cool. He said some interesting stuff, told, told some cool stories and stuff. Um just really cool to be with somebody who's so prolific and hear some of their stuff, uh, be in the same room and listen to, you know, he was talking about his work on Daredevil and how, uh, you know, what influenced him and stuff. He specifically said that uh, the he was he was mugged shortly after moving to New York, which mm-hmm. specifically like directly influenced him to write Dark Knight Returns, which I think is, like, super fucking cool. I that's think really that's cool. A, and I'm not sure if I'd known that story before or not. Um, but th- there was a, a reason why why Frank Miller was special this particular go-round at Comic-Con for you. I collect original comic art, so when when you make a comic book, the way it's traditionally done, and now with digital it's, it's slightly changing, but the way it's usually done is... Um, you'll get a big art board, which is about usually about 11 by 17 inches. Someone will draw it in pencil. Then usually a different artist goes over that in ink while the penciler is doing more pages. That way you can it's – a, it's, a, it's a smoother process. Then they used to take an acetate overlay 
So like a transparency over that and color it on that. And uh, they would photo it together and that's how they'd make comics. But those original arts, those original pieces of art are still intact. Um, Now a lot of the coloring is done digitally. And a lot of the, actually the penciling and the inking is done digitally too. But a lot of people still do that in, in a more traditional sense. But I have from many different comics that mean something to me one way or another original art that the artists themselves hand drew as part of the production process. So it's a completely one of a kind thing that you can then see the published version in many comic books. And uh, I have a pretty good collection. I'm pretty. Tell, tell them about some of the pieces you have. Just just a, a quick overview, because I'm sure we'll get into this in another episode. <clears throat> but uh, some of your big highlight pieces. So, big, I mean, the big pieces, I was lucky enough to get a Watchmen piece. I have a published Dave yeah. Gibbons from the 11th issue of the book. It's not a panel page. It's something from, you know, the end content where they're like in that uh, issue, they're interviewing uh, Ozymandias or Ozymandias, however you pronounce it. Um and it's like a published piece as part of that book, which is like to me is historic. It's amazing. Um, I have a page that has Superman on the top, Justice League in two frame, uh, two panels in the middle, and Doomsday on the bottom. That's about two pages or two issues before Doomsday kills Superman. So it's from that run. Those pages are very hard to come by, and they're very expensive. I was lucky enough to to uh, to work out a great deal with this this awesome comic collector who was cool enough to help me get that page. And I, you know, that, that's certainly like a high reaching page. I have a page from the end of the ultimates where captain America is yelling at the Nazi, the not the Nazi alien, the Nazi alien tells him to surrender. Captain America points to the a, it's a full page splash of captain America's face. Brian Hitch page. He's pointing at the a on his head and he says, uh, do you think this a stands for France? <laughs> because Ooh, he is shade. a world war two dude. Um, and, uh, like, that's a really known page. Everybody who's read that series remembers that page. Uh, and then I have a bunch of other pages that, like, mean something to me. But necessarily, Yeah, you have a lot like, of Punisher. You have ton, a Predator. A, Punisher, a ton of Predator. Ton, a couple of Predators. A ton couple of Punishers. Spider-Man. Um, uh, one page that I don't have or didn't before this Comic-Con was I wanted an original Frank Miller. And they, they're astronomical. A great page. I mean... I worked on the movie 300. I'd love to get one of those pages. They're 25 grand. Yeah. They're, you know, and they're not out there. There's three or four and they're 25 grand. He's done some daredevil stuff that's out there. And there's, you know, there's still, they're in the grands. They're five, six, seven, eight, nine, 12 grand for a decent page. But I haven't found any that really spoke to me. Um, the, the grail for me would be dark Knight returns. Cause I think that has such historical significance. Yeah. Um, but it, again, those pages, the problem with those are all the shitty pages are gone. The people who have shitty pages are like me, and that's as best that they can do, and they're never going to let it go. Yeah. The not shitty pages are like 15, 18, 20, 30 grand, and I can't, I can't play that game. Yeah. Um, but uh, looking around, after seeing Frank Miller speak, we're walking around. I go to a dealer, and he has cover prelims from the 10th anniversary edition of uh, Dark Knight Returns. And I immediately, I felt it. I fell in love with one right away. They're, they were pretty expensive, but not nearly as expensive as the published pieces, uh, as the finished published pieces, pieces I just talked about. And uh, the grail for me was always a Batman. Uh, if you're familiar with Miller art, it changed and evolved over some time. Uh, some people don't like where it's at now. I personally, I'll say I like the older stuff better. 
the piece that I was looking at was from the 90s, and it was definitely in the style of the 80s, 90s Miller stuff. And Rumi, you saw it. It's really cool, it's yeah. A, it's about like a, a 10 by 11 Batman, Batman standing there. He looks badass. It's from the back cover of that. It's in black and, and, and red marker with some pencils, and I just fell in love with it. I was so fucking excited. Well, well while we were there, and like I – you know, I know that Rumi has this hobby. I've never really, you know, he's got some really cool stuff. I can definitely appreciate that. But I, I, I had, I got, I got a treat because Rumi took me to an art auction. Oh yeah, yeah. And so that this is one one of the evenings. There was a Saturday night. We went to the comic comic book legal defense fund had a original comic book auction and it was uh co-hosted by a couple different companies but idw the publisher who does lock and key which is one of my favorites and they do ninja turtles ninja turtles um, my little pony my little pony yeah and they they were co-hosting this um and and we went and there were some amazing pieces there i go to this auction every year that i'm at comic-con and last year was great they had a couple pieces they had two pieces last year that went for over five grand and it mm-hmm. was like so exciting to watch that happen. And usually you have usually that was the first time we'd ever seen multiple grands. Maybe I've seen like a, a one point five or two thousand dollar piece go yeah. in previous years, but last year was pretty big. This year the slate had some amazing, amazing well, stuff. Kevin Eastman and Frank Quietly, they had a Frank Miller double page and promo that, splash. That Frank Miller that evening, we saw a guy drop seventeen grand on this. And, and like as amazing as that sounds, that was not the only piece that guy bought. No, and he, yeah, this guy bought a lot. But the greatest thing is this guy sat right behind us, and you got to watch his face when he was like, "I think I want that," and you could see it in his eyes. He's like, "I really want that," and then he would raise up that paddle and just keep cranking that price up. And the room was electric. The room, it was, and everyone has fun. Um, I'm lucky enough. I know a couple of people in that room, so it was like cool to like bullshit with them and yeah. talk with them. It was really cool to get to talk to the IDW guy. Yeah, I, I made a deal, an art deal with an IDW guy a couple of years ago, and we've kind of become at least like collecting friends. You know, yeah. like we don't go to each other's house for dinner or anything. He lives in San Diego, but he's invited me down. He showed me around IDW, and uh, it's cool to like you know talk to someone who you're. And that's really the thing that we we're talking about about Comic Con in general is. You're there for the whatever it is that you're passionate about. Of yeah. all the nerd shit that I'm passionate about, the art that I care about is the thing I'm most compassionate about. And to be in a room with people who feel the exact same way about very similar pieces, you can kind of be like, hey, what do you think that piece is going to go for? What do you think that piece is going to go for? Yeah. And then, I mean, you actually, when Rumi went in there, Rumi was tired. Rumi was a little cranky. My feet were hurting. Uh, there were two parties that night that we had invites to, and Rumi was going... Uh, he really wanted to go to those parties, and he definitely yep. wanted to do that more than the auction. And I told him that they set all the art out on a table to begin with, so you could just come and check the art out. And he's like, well, I'll come and check the art out, and then I'll take off. And then he looked, and he sat down, and I was like, Rumi, you should buy something. I, and I, I said, I signed myself up for a paddle. I was like, Rumi, you could put the paddle up for the first couple things I bid on. <laughs> and that fucker, you sat there the whole time. It yeah, ended like I, almost I, at 11 o'clock. It ended you, after 11 o'clock. You stayed the whole time. I stayed the whole time. And what was I, that like for you as a new person who never, like, you don't collect original art. You're not necessarily into it, but, like. I get it. I, 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 you're a sympathetic excitement boy. Yeah, I, I get <laughs> amped up and like seeing the people bid against each other and seeing them get like get the bug to want something and like that excitement of like 
and you could see it in their face when it's like somebody would say bid a hundred bucks and then somebody would bid 200 and then you have to decide whether you're going to beat that or not. And the look on their face and that split second of like, do I want it or not? And it really does play on that. Like that, <clears throat> that trying to make your mind make a split second decision that might not be the best for you. And that's how I ended up with my own original piece of comic book art. <laughs> oh, and, and, uh, you know, again, for anyone listening to this, who knows Rumi, I'm sure as I explain this, you will imagine his face correctly. Um, there were a couple pieces that I think you bid on one or two before that, that, that went too high. I mean, yeah, those were $50 bids. Yeah. Uh, this piece, again, <laughs> he had his battle, he held it up and I watched him. He was so excited and proud of himself that he bid and then he won it. And when I leaned over, he was like, I didn't mean to bid that much. Yeah. I thought I was bidding less. I was, so, so he, he goes $50. I was like, I have $50. And then he, then somebody else like bid like $60 and I was like, I'll do 75. That's fine. And then it suddenly got to a hundred and I was trying to pull my paddle down, but he was <laughs> looking at me and he was the auctioneer is a guy named Charles. Who's big time at the, I don't know if he runs it, but he's very big at the CBLDF. He is the auctioneer and he's good at it and he is fucking fast. I yeah. threw a couple bids on things. I didn't win anything, uh, but I threw a couple bids on things that, you know, I meant to throw a hundred dollar bid, but as I put my hand up for a hundred, he went to the person who had it up first, said a hundred, and then as I was pulling my hand down, knocked me for a hundred and twenty-five. Luckily, yeah. I always got outbid, but <laughs> Rumi got it. That, but I, I got stuck with it. But not. But I'm I'm actually really into this piece. I I, I have ended up with a original page from Twenty Eight Days Later, and it's a page that tells you a, it shows you exactly what's going on. It's like a distance. You see these silhouettes, and the next panel. It's big, big, wide panels that span each. Three panels span the whole page. Which is cool. Yeah. And then the next one, the silhouettes are a little bit closer. And the last one, it's just a, a covered in the vampire zombie monsters coming at you. And, and it was cool. And and it goes to a good cause because for those of you who don't know, the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund helps uh, maintain – helps protect free speech, helps uh, pay for lawyers for uh, comic book and and authors and people who are being challenged by courts. Uh, their, their books are being banned for whatever – stupid reason and they help them out and I think that's a that's a, a really admirable thing and even though it was a little bit more than I wanted to put down on it I am proud to own this and to have helped out that uh, that the legal defense fund it's cool and for those of you who know Rumi you know his love for horror and zombies and this yeah. is really like I don't want to say generic but I would say catch all because it shows a zombie horde getting closer and closer, closer to and the closer. reader. Yeah, and the bottom cool. third of the whole page is just like a, a splash of like seven or eight zombies just zombieing it up. It's beautiful. <laughs> there's no whiteout on it. There's no marks. There's no blue lines. Yeah. So it's like a real crisp, clear page. It's $100 is a steal for a original piece of art. Huge There's steal. one of those in the world, in the entire world. Yeah, and it's um, one of a kind. That's pretty awesome, huh? It's pretty cool, man. And it's like, uh, to me, like I now I feel like he has... He has crossed the threshold into original. <laughs> You're gonna art make me collecting. do bad things, Rumi. Yeah, man, I'm gonna pull you down that rabbit hole. No, uh, but it was fun as shit. You know, Rumi, he had this like stupefied look on his face for most of that night. He was so yeah. excited but bewildered, and it was more money than he thought he was gonna spend and shit. But that was he won that Saturday night. Yep. We're recording this right now, Monday afternoon, and when I walked in, he was like, 
Rumi, I'm so excited about my piece. He yeah. bought two NECA action figures. He's like, I kind of have buyer's remorse now about those figures, but I'm really happy I got that piece. And like, that's cool for me to hear as like a fellow collector because <laughs> that's like the coolest shit, you know, when you're like, I, I got this piece of art. And like, I always get jazzed because it's like, it, you know, it wasn't some bullshit you don't even care about. It was zombies. And like, that's how I really met cool. you, man, was yeah. making zombies, you know? Doing zombie movies, yeah. Original art collecting has actually become an ever-increasing hobby uh, for people now that, like, superheroes has had such a boom. People who weren't, I mean, pages used to be so inexpensive and easy to get before. Now there's the market has been flooded not only with pages but with collectors looking to grab those things. So um, there's a bunch of different places you can go to get it. You can get it from collectors and you can get it from the artists, but there's a ton of dealers and a ton of auction houses. That's got some of the coolest shit. Uh, there is a place called Heritage Auctions, which is the number one place. We were lucky enough to, to talk to our buddy Jerry over there and kind of get the scoop on what Heritage Auctions is about. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here at San Diego Comic-Con 2017. I'm here with my buddy Jerry from Heritage Auctions. Her uh, Jerry, thank you so much for being on our show. Well, thank you for asking me. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Heritage, just the company uh, itself? Well, Heritage, they started in the 70s as a coin company, but in 2001, uh, one of the owners was a comic collector, and when Sotheby's and Christie's decided to drop out of sale, and they had a summer sale, and uh, Jim thought, I think we can do this. and they did okay those first couple ones, doing a couple of million dollar auctions. And then their third sale, Nicolas Cage wanted to sell his collection. And we used that as publicity and had a $5.2 million auction. And from that point on, Heritage name in the comic auction business was set. And that's pretty cool. I don't know a lot if a lot of people know this, but Nicolas Cage is a, is a great and well-known actor. He's also wacky and everybody knows him for that, but he's a huge comic book guy. I don't know if a lot of people know that. Well, he gets his name, you know, you know, the Netflix series, you know, Luke Cage. He was a huge uh, Power Man fan, and he gets his stage name, Cage, from that comic book from growing That's right. up. right, and his real name is actually... Coppola, right? He's tied right. into the Coppola he, he, line. He's the nephew of, yeah, right. Like, that's pretty, it's, yeah. it's, that's pretty cool. That is interesting that, like, you got so much of your start out of a Nick Cage comic book collection. That's amazing. Yeah, that really put us on the map. And, and last year we sold 43 million in comics and comic art. So wow. we're the 800-pound gorilla in the uh, comic book auction market. For sure. And I, I know you guys know that I collect comic art. I've bought in at least, like, three or four pages from Heritage, at least three or four, and I've gotten outbid on probably dozens. But, uh, um... Can you tell us, Jerry, what are some of the, the biggest and maybe some of the weirdest? Give me like, give me, give me your, your one or two biggest pieces that you have in the upcoming auction and give me one or two like wacky things that would like blow people's mind to hear that you guys might be, be auctioning off soon. The biggest one I can think of right now off the top of my head is we have the first appearance of Wonder Woman wow. uh, that we think is going to go for around uh, $75,000. This is a book or, or art? It's a, it's a comic book. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it's a comic book that came out in uh, 42, well, late 41, but it's got a January of 42 cover date on it. Uh, yeah, so with the Wonder Woman film having just come out. As far as art, we, I know we've got a nice uh, early Steve Ditko Spider-Man page that we're looking uh, at th doing very sure. well. And uh, switching back to DC, uh, we have the cover art to Superman uh, 12. Uh, wow. Which which is pretty amazing early art. You touch these comics, right? A lot of them, yes. I'm sure you've been doing it for a while. 
I have not been touching comics from the 40s very many. I've held a couple, and I know that I feel more comfortable holding a brand new baby that I don't know than, <laughs> uh, you know, a Superman 12 from the 40s. How, can you tell us what that's like for you? Like, it's your job to handle those kind of one-of-a-kind, one really, pieces. I can't tell you how excited it is. I, you know, I, I enjoyed being a computer programmer for 17 years, but, but doing this, my, my hobby, my love, my vocation, to, to turn it into a job is just just amazing. Sure. And so I see amazing stuff every day. In fact, the, the, the comic book that we sold for a million dollars back in 2010, the very first appearance of Batman in Detective 27, was a certified 8-0. I actually got to hold that book before we sent it to CGC. Wow. Yeah, uh, wow. <laughs> I would be so nervous. Yeah. I would be so nervous. I'd be like... <laughs> Flip a couple pages. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Of course, we were at that time. The record there was an action one that had sold for three hundred and twenty-one thousand uh, by Metropolis. So we were thinking this could set a new record and maybe make a half a million. Nobody wow. knew it was going to go all the way up to a million. So even that was that blew every one of us at the company away. I mean, that's such an iconic book. I mean, that that and Superman lifting the car, like to me in my head when I think of old famous comic, like those two are the holy grails of. Oh, those that's one and two. Yeah, sure. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For sure, and they they started. So in in your years of being in business and auctioning off all these pieces, do you have some things that have been kind of bizarre? Anything wacky that has come through? Something that has an interesting story tied to it of how you got it or how you sold it? It's hard to say from the comic standpoint. I know, like I say, we have forty different divisions now. One the comic book was their second division, mm -hmm. and now they've expanded to forty. I'm just amazed anyone would, would be interested in, say, Jack Ruby's hat. You know, the guy, the guy that killed, but, but we auctioned that off. And another department we have that just, you know, blows me away. We have a space and exploration department, and we've sold, like, a couple of the astronauts who have walked on the moon, we've sold their material and some of the stuff they took to the moon and stuff. So, I mean, it, it's really some out-of-this-world stuff that we, we've sold at Heritage. And that is pretty wild. Yeah, actual yeah. Moon, moon moon boots. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's amazing. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. I mean, your, your job must be amazing. And now Heritage does these great things where you can go in and you can kind of show some of your collection and talk with someone like Jerry who knows his stuff and is able to really steer you towards, like, what you have. Because some people probably get some of this stuff from estate sales or they're not as familiar with it as other people, right? You, you guys kind of help cultivate collections in that respect. Oh, certainly. Uh, there, there are some people uh, who might see, uh, say, the Detective 27 we were talking about earlier, and, th and they've got a reprint of it or whatever, and they swear they've got the most valuable stuff in the world. And we we have to, you know, crush their dreams sometimes. <laughs> we're, we're dream crushers in that respect. But we, we, we do make a lot of dreams come come true because they don't know what they have. And, sure. And I get, always like to tell them, you know, it only takes one winning lottery ticket. That's it, right? You know, I mean, the rest of this, you know, these are a bunch of $20 books. But this one, you happen to have an A of 15, you know, you got a $10,000, you know, first appearance of Spider-Man. It's like Antique Roadshow if it was a Comic-Con. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well... Well, when we do set up in our various cities, like when I met you in Beverly Hills, we we do yeah, that is exactly uh, exactly it. In fact, a couple of people like Nick Dawes and Kathleen Guzman, who you see on the Antiques Roadshow, yeah. work for Heritage. Wow! Oh, cool. Heritage. I mean, again, for those of you who don't know, if there is an auction site specifically for comic-related stuff, Heritage is like the brand name. It is the first thing. And to speak for all the collectors, at least that I know, if Heritage is selling it. 
it's the real deal. You know it's for real, you know it's like the highest quality, you know where it's coming from. It usually has a pretty good, um, a pretty good uh, a record of where it came from, all the information about it. It's, 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 they're not shooting from the hip here, right? Right, right. We've, um, there have been at least a half a dozen cases I know where someone has actually uh, uh, faked some comic art and we've Whoa. had to send it back. I mean, because we, we really try to be real wow. rigorous. How do you authenticate it? Can you tell me a specific instance of when someone either on purpose or on accident had a forgery that you were able to determine was, was well, not the real deal? Well, I think most of the time, it, it, everyone's disappointed because they bought it from someone thinking it was sure. real. Wow. Uh, so they, they're the ones that that are going to have to try and get their money back. It was a two-faced story, I think from, I forget which uh, 50s Batman that was, but but it was supposedly a Dick Sprang, and it wasn't. I, the paper, you, you just know from doing this for a long time, if they don't have it on the right art paper, you know, or, or, sure. or, 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 or Bristol board or, or, or what they would have been using, because I've seen thousands and thousands of pages, and most of the time it's, it's the paper that they get wrong, wow. which, which is really weird because they don't know the period. Sure. Uh, and, and But there was a Superman 92 cover that we sent back. There was uh, a Lois Lane over issue 100, you know, from the 1970s where someone had uh, uh, messed with it. So I, I know those three cases specifically where, and it must take a long time to, sure. to create this this fake piece, That's right? Dedication, yeah. Yeah, but if you can think you can sell it to someone for ten grand, you'll you'll spend time, right? some time, time to do it. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this: Like I said, Heritage is the real deal. I got to tell you, there's a about a, a six and a half foot safe that's about two or three feet wide. Uh, it looks like the kind of safe like a magician would go in and try to get out of. Uh, <laughs> the guys here are well dressed. They look like professionals. We are at Comic Con though, and there are some interesting interesting characters here. What is some of the wackiest stuff that you have seen here? I'm assuming you've been at Comic-Con oh, for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you see a lot of the guys, you know, from The Walking Dead, you know, negging with, with the bat. Sure. I saw one guy, uh, he was Glenn. He had a oh. bat stuck to his head. He had a fake eyeball <laughs> popping out and blood all over, you know, at point of impact. You know, nice. I thought, Whoa. that's one step farther. Yeah, that was that's real good. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, you are wearing a nice blue button-down shirt and some, some navy blue slacks. How come you're not in costume? It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> just between you and me. The company really wants us to look professional. Sure, sure, I hear. Yeah. All right, so today, if, if you had the choice, <laughs> though, if you had the choice, though, if you had free reign, come in costume to work day, what superhero or <laughs> pop culture character would you choose? Well, I mean, I'm a lifelong Batman fan. Although with the way I'm styling my hair these days, maybe I. I better be Ollie Queen, you know. Uh, <laughs> Jerry says that as his bald head is kind of gleaming in the light a little bit. <laughs> which yeah. which Batman though? Yeah, I was gonna ask, oh, gonna ask that too. There you go. There you go. Uh, well, I, I grew up on the '60s Infantino Batman, that slick uh, look that, that Infantino nice. uh, uh, had, you know. So that was the new look. Batman was always my favorite. Very cool. Uh, very excellent. cool. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Jerry. Really appreciate you taking the time being on the show. That was that was really fun. Well, Rumi, since you brought up toys earlier, we might as well mention there are a shit ton of toys at Comic-Con. Couple on this table. Couple on this Comic-Con. table. There's so many toys, and, and that's a really cool thing to see is all the toys that are about to come out. I mean, we saw uh, the NECA booth. I That was like the one thing that I – like 
going to Comic-Con when it was yeah. like, what do you want to see? And it's like, I don't know. There's so much there, but I want to see the NECA booth. I want to see the NECA booth because I was converted on this podcast from being like, NECA's just okay. Oh, to being that's like, true, right? Yeah, I'm yeah, excited yeah. to see what NECA has because I'm, I've definitely become a convert. And we went there and we saw they had um, an upcoming Chucky that looks really awesome. Um, he has interchangeable faces. So it's like, fits him from most of the movies. I think it's a different face from all the first three films. There's a couple, there's like a, I, yeah, there's at least a couple different faces that, you know, fans of the franchise will know this is from Different this, hands. He has the, the switchblade he can put into his hand, yep. jam into his stump. Um, they didn't have the burnt face, which I would have liked, but I guess that wouldn't have fit with his normal body. His, his doll, his yeah. body was the regular body. Um, some, you know, really cool, um, like a Jason, um, uh, oh man! Tons the, of Predator. Tons, tons of, of Predator. The Evil Dead Two. Uh, the yep. the uh, the aliens with the battle damage. So it's like aliens with their heads blown open yeah, and really acid spilling out. Um, they had the Machiko. Uh, awesome Predators from from the original Alien versus Predator comic, like the one that has the alien head yeah, that's as a new armor. One. I'm like really excited about that, and it's drawn and colored like it was yeah. in the original Dark Horse series with the the yellow helmet and the green armor. Uh, it's gonna be it, that's gonna be a cool figure. Really cool. Um, Evil Dead Two. They had amazing looking Evil Dead Two. Ash and uh, I think is it Ed, uh, one of the first guys that transforms into sure. a Deadite. Um, some a, a two pack of that that looks really 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 cool. Um, one of the other ones they saw. Uh, it, it was <laughs> this is kind of funny because it was it was um, the Arnold Schwarzenegger. In Predator, as 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 Dutch, but before he he was in Predator mode, it's like him in his right. red polo shirt that he and, got out of the helicopter at the, at, at the beginning of the movie. That was the NECA exclusive this year. Yeah, and the box that he comes in has a Carl Weathers arm drawn onto the box for him to grab it. I'm like, why don't you have a Carl Weathers? How can I do the epic? Oh uh, yeah, that's you true. I don't know if they made him yet. They haven't made him, and they they need to make a Dylan so that they can do the epic like Dylan, Dylan, you son of a bitch, and they do this like super muscle high five hand grab handshake thing that's hysterical it looks like they're they're doing arm wrestling in the air that's their way they greet each other <laughs> and the box has it drawn on there and then you're like damn where's the dylan man and and we saw like the mesco the mesco toy booth had a bunch of really yeah, they have cool some, and they have really cool superhero stuff coming up cool superhero stuff cool ghostbuster stuff uh the star wars booth had amazing looking toys that you were like damn there were so many really nice toys and if yeah. if you've i mean even if you even if you have not gone if you've just seen pictures uh, the downside, though, Rumi, what was your complaint about looking at all these super fucking cool toys? You can't buy them. They're not there. It's true. Some of them aren't even out for a year. It's it's literally just 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 getting you all hyped up, giving you a little tease, you know. And we were talking about like like the the, the business model for that, you know, yeah. like it's a it's an interesting thing. But I, I guess I guess that makes sense to a certain extent. Like, well, I mean, you you said it's like how many. How many could you bring? How many different? Right. If you're Mezco and you yeah. have a Mezco booth, and Mezco's got a decent-sized booth, but it's not huge. You know, Sideshow's got a giant booth, but really, how many things can you bring? Sideshow yeah. makes huge fucking thing. You know, yeah. their smallest thing, and they don't have anything small there. They're not showing, like, the one six-scale stuff that Mezco does at that booth. They're showing, like, you know, almost one-to-one scale carbonite Han Solos, exactly. Boba Fett's, yeah. um, Predator masks. And 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 yeah, and and you're right. Like, how many things can you bring? So they usually just have four or five things there that are exclusive, 
And that usually is cool, but I was like, mm, I want what you're showing in this case, man. I want, I want that canister of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle ooze. Oh man, we remember. Hey, audience, remember when we talked about ooze a lot ad nauseum? NECA is making a radioactive material canister. Uh, it says radioactive material. It doesn't say TGRI on it, at least not in the in, the, in what we saw. But it comes with a little container of ooze. ooze. I feel like by that time. Uh, hopefully we've made a million dollars off this podcast because I feel like as 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 fans of that and as as people who talked about that knew so goddamn much about ooze toys, we need to buy one of those, at least one of those. <laughs> need a little bit of ooze in our life. <laughs> Don't you? Yeah. Don't we all? Oh man. And 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 earlier in our good toys, you had talked about the awesome uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, those were there again, and they're still gorgeous. Um, oh, they're beautiful. The, the, the NECA. Yeah. I think they're like a fourth, a quarter scale. Remember the thing under the cloth that we thought was going to be uh, Audrey 2 from uh, yes. Little Shop of Horrors? Turns out it was uh, Devil's Backbone. It was the bomb and the ghost boy. Oh, okay. It was pretty cool. Yeah. It, it looked cool. I went back and saw that. Um, but uh, one of the things that I love is RoboCop, and they had the RoboCop versus Terminator toys with the uh, – it was like the Terminators that had been reassembled with RoboCop. So they had like the Terminator T-800 arms on RoboCop's body, really cool stuff. Um, but the piece that I ended up getting from the NECA line was the ED-209 who uh, is – it's beautiful. It's a really cool piece. Um, he's pretty articulated, and he says every line that ED-209 says in the movie. <laughs> Including blowing a guy away for a good two minutes. <laughs> Just imagine a guy on top of a model of Detroit being riddled with bullets. And uh, uh, yeah, we were. We were looking at this toy, and we were like, how cool if they released a special edition, you know, diorama that was that <laughs> model that you could put that fucking dead guy on with, like, blood squibs everywhere. Ooze. Ooze Just, comes out. Oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's a little water fountain. You press a button. It's like, boop, boop, beep, boop, That'd be cool. Beep, like, beep, you know, I, I don't know if NECA would be interested in selling uh, action figures of of a dead body of dead people. Um, they sell a box that's just a skinned people for oh, the that's right for yeah, predator. They'd be You're way right. into they'd be it. Fine. They'd be way into they'd be it. Totally into it. Those were cool toys. We did see some stupid toys. Uh, but one of the ones in particular, I walked past and I was like, "Is that a crumpled up paper bag? What is that? What is that?" But 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 I could tell what it was because next to it is Obi Wan Kenobi. You suddenly realize it's it's dead Obi Wan Kenobi as a crumpled robe. This wasn't in NECA. This was uh. I think artifacts or something. It was is it was not. It wasn't NECA. I yeah. don't remember the company, but they had like pretty decent looking. Were they statues or action figures? Uh, it was a cross. Yeah, it, was, it, it was, looked real nice. Re really but good the, sculpts. The Obi Wan Kenobi one came with a crumpled up cloak that you could lay on the floor and it had a lightsaber. Are on you it. sure that they they better have come together? Because if you had to go oh, by, it looked like they were they, they were displayed like they were together. But you're if, right. I can't guarantee you that. If you had to buy a crumpled. Obi-Wan Kenobi on your own that's uh, pretty sad I, I just like what's the value like I guess if you really like Darth Vader you could make like a Darth you know if you had the Darth Vader figure like, you could stand it would make more sense it. if he came with Darth Vader yeah because like because right. like why would you have Obi-Wan and then next to him is his crumpled self you're right um 
It should be. It should have been Darth Vader with the crumpled Obi Wan, and then a little button, and Obi and Darth Vader says, "Now I am the master." You know, uh, it's interesting because I heard that they're going that that's just the first figure in a line of dead Star Wars figures, dead Star Wars characters they're going to make. There's going to be a Darth Maul that comes in two pieces. There's going to be a Mace Windu that's just fucking splat on the street of Coruscant. <laughs> uh, who else could you do? Oh, there's a there's a special edition two-pack. That's that Ewok that gets killed and the other Ewok tries to get up. Oh, 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 there's a crispy Aunt Brew and Uncle Lars which is all fried up like, eh, barbecue. Um, and oh, there's oh, my favorite oh, would be Dak. Oh. <laughs> Dak in the back of the uh, theater. Fucking C-3PO carrying flattened dead Jawas. <laughs> burning them. Burning their burning corpses. Them. Sure. <laughs> I like that they clean that shit up. Like, why was that C-3PO's responsibility? Yeah, that's true. What the fuck was that about? What was happening? Like, this is a decide, but what the fuck? Luke is like, I'm sad, and now I want to go on this adventure with you. And Obi-Wan's like, you sure? It's going to be like a pretty fucked up adventure. C-3PO's yeah. like, little help? Little help? <laughs> yeah, somebody? I, I mean, why doesn't he come back and go, what are you doing? Why are you burning their bodies? Why did you take it upon yourself to, to clean yeah, it like, up? Yeah, like, like, yeah. I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know. But like, if I come across mass massacre situation, my first thought isn't better start piling these buddies up. Like, <laughs> it's let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> I don't want to stick around in case somebody's like, oh, I forgot my little communicator. I got to go back and get it. I forgot my blaster. Like, I, I feel like in real life, if you found a dead body, you should call the police, not dispose of it yourself. But the in this case, <laughs> we've established that the empire. In this case, we've established that the empire has murdered all these things as part of a cover up. Yeah, that is all the more reason to get the fuck out of yeah. there. Don't stay and clean up their fake crime scene. Their fake crime scene. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You imagine if you walked into a room and there was a massacre, and you're like, "Fuck, this is part of a conspiracy." Yeah. Let's start wiping shit up. Let's <laughs> let's, start, let's clean these windows <laughs> and shit. <laughs> and like, even if there was like a police force to like do something about this, like 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 on Tatooine, there's like a sheriff, and he shows up and is like, "We've been trying to bust these these imperials." bastards and prove that they're they're covering things up if somebody hadn't burned all these corpses we could have had a great case if somebody hadn't <laughs> yeah, killed yeah, all these true. cleaned up the everything there's no more fingerprints there's no more footprints <sighs> these are not the droids we're looking for that scene is totally fucked up because then obi-wan calls attention to the the accuracy of the marksman the stormtrooper marksman he says these these are too accurate for for tuscan raiders yeah to these blasts, these blasts are too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers that's precise, and then the Imperial stormtroopers can't shoot fucking shit. Fucking shit. The rest of the series. <laughs> <laughs> so really, there's a couple discrepancies in that scene. That's hysterical. Oh man, yeah. Uh, lots of toys there. Love the toys. Uh, the other one I got um, because I'm a huge Freddy fan is I got the, uh, dream warriors, my favorite of the nightmare on Elm street series, dream warriors, Freddy with the interchangeable hands and chest. Like he, he comes with the glove, the famous glove, but then he also comes with two hands with the needles. Want to get high. Uh, a smaller part that kind of gets underrepresented, uh, underrepresented sometimes is horror. 
definitely. And and as a huge horror fan, I definitely noticed that. I mean, there are plenty of horror conventions. It's not like horror doesn't get its fair shake. But at Comic-Con, it is about superheroes and Star Wars and sort of the lighter side of things. But every now and then you'll catch a booth that's got something Freddy going on, a little bit of Creature from the Black Lagoon, and one that... Rumi and I both love, and and we've chatted with these people before, but the famous Monsters of Filmland booth uh, is definitely one we always like to hit up, and we were super lucky to get an interview with the publisher, uh, Philip Kim. Rumi, for for people who are listening who might not know, can you explain what Famous Monsters of Filmland is? Yeah, Famous Monsters of Filmland is is one of the older horror magazines. It has a huge legacy behind it, but um, they had – these amazing covers. Basil Gogo is one of my favorite artists. Sure. Would do these amazing colored covers of the, the hottest monster at the time. And and you get th- – these covers are iconic. The Creature from the Black Lagoon, the Frankenstein, the Werewolf, uh, the Wolfman. It, it, these are, are phenomenal. And, and it's recently gotten a resurgence um, – as a magazine and they're starting to really take it into new directions and uh, it was really exciting to hear about that and uh, we got to hear it from the publisher. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are at the Famous Monsters of Filmland booth. I'm here with none other than Mr. Phil. Phil, what is your title? What do you have to do with Film Monsters? I am the janitor. <laughs> I clean stuff up, and uh, I, I yeah no, I'm the publisher. Axel, yeah. for those of you who have been Rocketeer fans for a while, Rumi and I had a show called Geek Out a while ago, a television show, and we interviewed Phil on that as well. Um, how has the con been going for you so far? Well, you know, the con this year has been exceptional. Excellent. Um, it's been very very busy for us. Um, we have a bunch of stuff going on. We have a Famous Monsters Television, uh, network television program that just launched in the San Francisco Bay Area, reaching almost 6 million people. Woo! Wow. And we're hoping that it gets picked up nationally, of course. Um, it's basically Famous Monsters magazine on, uh, on TV. That's so, yeah. awesome. That's, that's so that's, cool. Yeah. Oh, thank you. For I, people like us, and, yeah. and we've had a great time at this con, yeah. and I'm a huge comic book fan. I'm at least as much a horror fan as I am a comic book fan, yeah. so it's it's cool to kind of nerd out a little bit right now about sure. monsters and horror. Yeah, um, I would watch the I would watch that TV show <laughs> for sure. Uh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, the, the format of the show is very much like the magazine. We have a feature uh, guest, like for instance, one of the episodes uh, we feature about Godzilla and the history of Godzilla. But we had a, a rare interview with uh, Higuchi and Sakurai, who did not just the Shin Godzilla, but Attack on Titan. Whether you like Woo. the live action or I love the live action. So, okay. Uh, yeah, and I, again, yeah, you got to have your own opinions about it. But And then they did a ton of, like, uh, Evangelion. And, I mean, they, they were... Just really cool, influential yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah big so time. You know these guys. So, oh, yeah. You know, we, we did I love Attack minute, on Titan. Absolutely. And we did a 30-minute uh, interview with them, and they were great fun. And then we wrapped it with Godzilla Toys, the oldest, God, uh, the oldest Japanese kimono and toy shop in the wow. Bay Area. Uh, we had uh, a guy who in Texas who built his own Godzilla suit like they did back in the day. Wow. Yeah, and the guy was sweating like crazy. Sure, <laughs> right? He's in a giant foam. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, foam I, I, latex I, I, does not <laughs> breathe. That's like, so think hot. everybody at home, if you yeah. haven't played with special effects shit, right. imagine wearing a kitchen sponge right. covered in a layer of balloon latex yeah. on your entire body. Absolutely. Yeah. There's nowhere for your sweat to go. In your skin Dallas. cannot breathe. Oh, oh yeah. So this man is dedicated. <laughs> So, sure. so, you know, it, it's interesting because a lot of times, you know, we get into this because 
Godzilla, you know, Star Wars. It sounds sure. all exciting. But really, when you, as a, as a publisher and now as a producer, um, the thing that's really interesting is, I mean, I love Higuchi and Sakurai, but a show can't just exist on that glossy level. Sure. Yeah. When you start really dealing with the fandom, they're just as interesting. Absolutely. Very uh, much so. Yeah, and like this lady who owns uh, Kimono My House, uh, which is uh, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a great right. house, right? yeah. Yeah. Good, a house. good pun. Yeah, well yeah. thought out. Yeah, exactly. And you know, she did this when she in, in the '60s when she was younger, and now she's just like just she's like a patron. She just keeps the store open, and people from all over the world travel to, and she travels all over the world to continue finding cool stuff. Sure. So it's just you know we love it. We really absolutely love it. So it's kind of like a con in a box. Sure, That's right. awesome. which is awesome. I love I love that. Idea. Let me ask you. Um, me and this kid have had almost physical arguments yeah. over movies, TV, whatever. Mm. <laughs> One thing that, like, remarkably we agree Looking on... at the marks on your faces, it looks like it went physical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. One thing that recently we actually agreed on that surprised us was our opinion on Shin Godzilla. Mm. What is your thoughts on that movie? How did you feel about it? <laughs> as being as someone who I'm sure loves and, and knows Godzilla... What were your feelings on that movie? Well, it was way better than Roland Emmerich's. Let's just start with that. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> this interview was better. So, it's yeah. better than that. So, um, no, Shane Godzilla was great. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes Godzilla fans get a little overzealous and just like it for the fact that it's Godzilla. I just, I really thought Shin did a good job. Sure. And, and the fact that these guys were anime. Uh, directors and art directors, mm -hmm. um, you can really kind of see that. Like, Tail was exceptionally and unnecessarily long. Yeah, absolutely. And, but but <laughs> it was cool. It, uh, it was really cool. Visually, it made for some moments. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and and when he was doing his destructive paths, yeah, there were definitely anime influences. The way he would fire like uh, the the laser beams all out of his body and, and, and out that of his tail. was fantastic. Yes. Except it was also a little like anime. Again, this is my opinion. So yep. I'll, I loved it. But I'll give you my critique of it. Sure. The one thing about Japanese movies, whether it's Battleship Yamato or whatnot, everything looks really good until things that are that light up happen. <laughs> the lasers are a little lacking. Sure. Yeah. I think it could be a little more robust. Okay. And maybe I'm just a Michael Bay fan, so yeah. I'm just <laughs> polluted, right? So it's not, not things aren't blowing up fast enough. Yeah. So. Now, now <laughs> the movie has also gotten some some. We'll say critiques yeah. about the uh, uh, first stage yeah. Godzilla creature that right, we see right, in that right. before he takes on his actual right, form. Right. What? How did you feel about that? Because it's it's pretty different than most of what we've seen before, especially related to that specific character Godzilla when he was like you know kind of bopping through the city, looked like a I don't even know what he looked like. What, well, what do you think about? Well, you know, I was explained why Godzilla got bigger and bigger and bigger every year because. Uh, buildings got bigger and bigger and bigger. Hmm. Oh, that's actually a smart thing. So, no, yeah, so you can't really have a Godzilla that's like, ah, looking up at the, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you can't see where it's going. So, <laughs> sure. so as, you know, like, Godzilla wouldn't be able to be shot in Dubai. Right. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, so, and so it's an interesting thing. So that's why Godzilla got bigger and bigger and bigger. Hale got bigger. And, but, you know, part of it is, it is interesting because every Godzilla movie really is a whole new beast show. It sure, sure. is. Yeah. Sure. Because the backstory changes constantly. Okay. And then the fact that Legendary has their own universe right. while right. Toho is doing their own universe, it, it, I got to just look at it as, you know, it's like Sony's Spider-Man versus the real Spider-Man. Okay. Right. <laughs> the I, I real Spider-Man. I didn't actually say that. But I did. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, so, you know, who, whoever you like. Like, obviously, Tom Holland is... 
the best Spider-Man. Sure. I mean, that was an amazing. And yeah, I like Tobey Maguire and, and the other ones we won't mention. Anyway, but the point <laughs> is... The, uh, the, but, but, Poor Andrew know, Garfield. <laughs> I know, right? I don't know. I like Andrew Garfield. I just didn't like him in Spider-Man. I, I Fair like, enough. I liked yeah. it, but it was like it had already been done. I had already yeah. seen the yeah. origin. Yeah. I had already, you, you, you weren't doing anything new. I am so tired of Batman's backstory. How many times Again, can we see Pearl's like, fall, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just like, okay, so why don't you just take it from the last four movies and just put just, it in. Just sure. make You'll more adventures. 12 minutes right? Right. Uh, shooting. <laughs> right? So, Cut down on those run times. Right. I... Huge comic book guy, yeah. huge horror guy. One of my favorite things to read, but there's not a lot of great of it out there, is horror comics. Yeah. I recently got into Attack on Titan, which you mentioned, and I, I could not love it more. Yeah. I'm still, I mean, I'm still in the early stages. Yeah. I'm probably about the fifth or sixth trade right yeah. now. Yeah. I love it top to bottom. Yeah. Um, can you can you talk about a little bit about why you think that story and that that idea resonates. Like, why are we in multiple countries now fascinated by that idea? Because it's an old, age-old story. You know, you have young people in kind of, I mean, and the Japanese romance is always a little weird because, you know, all that romance is really subdued. It's, it's almost the relationships are very androgynous. You know there's a sure. little bit of undertone of romance there, but it's all kind of like big brother, little sister type of thing. Right. So, I think what you have is a level of innocence that we don't really have in America or in Western Excellent, culture anymore. Yeah. Uh, that's number one. So it, it, it harkens. I, when I look at Japanese stuff, you know, I'm, I kind of, I'm kind of an old-fashioned guy, so a lot of their romantic undertones feels a lot like when I was growing up. Okay. Mm -hmm. so, so it's always, you know, it, it's the Buffy and Spike thing. I mean, eventually they got it on, but for the first <laughs> four seasons, it was this, you know. It's the I'm tension, right. yeah, it's absolutely. Tension. And I think they do that, they play that very well because culturally, I think that's what they do. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Number two, you know, you have teenagers who have become superheroes by, like, that's how you survive. Right, like, right. All the ones that are eating Cheetos have died. Sure, right, <laughs> right, right. They became, somebody, they became a Titan Cheeto. Absolutely. And so everybody else <laughs> that's alive are badasses. These are yeah. the best of the best. That not only physically, but mentally. So you've got a lot of acrobatics there, which is, you know, very martial art it's driven. It's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Right. So so I think, I think they just put monsters and Bruce Lee in there. With a bunch of Shaolin, uh, you know, after sure, right, it's, right. It's a Shaolin Spider-Man for it, sure. It, it, so, so I think it's just, um, I think it just has a lot of right elements. Yeah. I don't know if it's the, I don't know if they realized what they were doing. Sure, but yeah. Whether they did or not, it just kind of became a perfect cocktail. Yeah, yeah. And, and you, you mentioned the live-action movie. You said you like it, and I, I really liked aspects mm -hmm. of it, and and hope that it. I, I, what I hope from it is that it was good enough to get them more because I would like yeah. to see more in, in the live action vein because the anime is great the comic book is great um, and I would love to see more in that vein of yeah. live action yeah I mean I, I the, the visual effects was a little jarring because some of it looked very accurate and yeah. others just look like my neighbor in the morning you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's a little you know naked Japanese giants just I don't know it was fair tough. enough yeah. but I gotta say man yeah. as far as as, as but a, I loved it because it was creepy. Not it's alone, so that's creepy. the thing. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. I feel like, creepy. as far as a, yeah. a, a monstrous antagonist, yeah. I, I haven't. You don't see a lot of giants in general. Like even right. Godzilla, he is giant. Yeah. King Kong is yeah. giant. Kaiju are giant, but they're yeah. not giants. These are giants, and the way that they're they are drawn, yeah. yeah, and they're some of them look regular. Some of them, their faces are weird. Right. Then you have like the the, the actual like like the Mega Titans and the yeah. the the, yeah. the 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 um the armor Titans and yeah. stuff. 
they don't have skin and shit, yeah. but like those faces as they're drawn in the yeah. book yeah. and then even in the anime are yeah. so disquieting. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. like I can only imagine if I saw a giant that looked like yeah. you or I that was a giant eating people, I'd be freaked out. Yeah. But most of those guys, those giants, the titans are smiling and they just well, look you know what so... It you know what's weird? It's like it, it was reminiscent of the Joker. Oh. Sure. The Riddler. So it, it had this kind of, yeah, like you said, it's very disquieting. You're like going, I don't... <laughs> like an angry yeah. giant, I think is slight. Like an angry titan would be cre not as creepy looking as well, it's like the giant what smiling. Was, right. What they were was these these mega madness. It, yeah. And that's what you were seeing. And you're sure. Like, that's not. The, it's like the yeah. smile on the face, the vacantness yeah. in the eyes, yeah. and they're just there to eat you. That's the one thing they do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like nowadays, you know, uh, the young, your generation, you know, creature from the black lagoon doesn't really resonate as as a as a story. Sure. Maybe as a design, you guys love wearing you know, t-shirts because it's an homage to something you know yeah. legendary, but. As a story, that wouldn't hold up because it's like this, this. That was told during a time when people didn't know they were exploring the ocean. Like, what's in there? Sure. Yeah. Now we have sonars and science, and you know, we raised the Titanic. We're like, that doesn't exist. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but what what scares us is madness. I mean, if you look at Saw and Insidious, it's really about uh, supernatural and madness. Losing and, and control of your body is absolutely, horrifying. Absolutely. Or having being around people. Who can snap? Yeah, who's right, smiling right. at you, and then they're eating your face. Oh. Right. So you know, it, it's a very, it's a very unnerving thing. So I, I think they, I think they got a lot of things right. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, so. it's an amazing book. If you guys haven't read it or seen the, the anime or even the movie, you, you really should check it out. At yeah. least give it a taste because it is, it is freaking amazing. It's, I it, get it's, a taste. it's worth. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, a big taste. Other than the television show, what is Monsters of Filmland up to? We are. Uh, we have a podcast too, so we'd love to invite you guys. Uh, oh, you know, we would it, love. You know. We would oh. actually be honored. Yes, like as yes. longtime fans, we would actually be honored, man. <laughs> we do. Uh, we are now doing. Uh, we're fully adopted this year uh, of YouTube, and what we're doing is getting a lot of industry seasoned makeup veterans, and you know, phenomenal face-off um, uh, uh, winners and uh, sure. runner-ups. I've actually worked. We just interviewed Walt. I yeah. know Walt from Grimm. We worked on the TV yeah, show yeah, Grimm for a, a couple guy. years. He's yeah, a, a consummate professional. Sure. And they're coming on because you know, Famous Monsters really did launch with Dick Make Dick Smith's makeup book. Absolutely. They launched the careers of Rick Baker. I mean, just endless amounts. Absolutely. Of Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now. So what we want to do is do that again. And since your generation only looks at pretty pictures. Right. We're putting it on. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of apt, though. Yeah. I'm not going to well, argue that. Well, no, no, all joking aside, I mean, it, I, I say that, and, and I think our generation pokes fun at it, but the reality of it is I think if we had the tools that you kids have today, yeah. you, we would have done the same thing. Sure. Because that visual, I can't tell you, I've learned how to cook. I've learned how to, you know, do dime store psychology on YouTube. And so it, it, it is the new magazine, right? Right, right. Yeah. right. Very much so. I mean, like you said, it, it inspired so many people to be like, how do I put that makeup That's on? How right. do I make that monster? That's right. And, and it's all like, I, I, for me, my introduction to it was, was Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. It's like, how did they do that? Yeah. And seeing how they did that, I was like, I want to do that lots forever. Of, you know, lots that's amazing. of amazing. High calorie food. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> is it, yeah. I love it. What is a, we'll wrap it up, but what is a monster? that you would love to see a redesign or a reboot of, whether it's an mm. update or just a new artist's take on it. It could be from books, it could be from movies, it could be from TV, whatever you, whatever you want. What's something you'd like to see another shot taken at? You know, I, I, I gotta honestly say the creature. Sure. You, you know, I, and, and, and I, I 
have a lot of respect and a relationship with Universal Studios. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing that I really struggle with is their relaunches. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, and the reason is, is that because I don't think that the the young people who are running it, who are fantastic, like Min, you look at Despicable Me, the stuff that they're doing, you know, uh, Fast and Furious, that stuff is just adrenaline pumping, yeah. fantastic. And I think a lot of that is trying to be put into a quieter story. Yeah. Right? And so, like when you, like how I would have done Dark Universe is, I would have flat out started it in 1935. Right. Where mm -hmm. the archaeologists, kind of like the mummy, what they did with the mummy, which was pretty perfect. Yeah. And 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 and. I think that's, you know, they should have found a British Van Helsing, not the buffed out, you know, uh, a Hugh Jackman, right. but, but literally a, a, a Cushing or, a, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, they're, they, they're, they're going for an Avengers. They're, they're going for a Transformers. They're and, looking and for that young. I think what yeah. people are looking right. for is so, and then you build up to today. So now you've got a history laid out. Yep, sure. That is an homage and, 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 and a kind of a, a retelling uh, with with today's knowledge of what it was like in the 30s, like you look at Boardwalk, what a great TV show, right? Right. So something like that, but in the horror archaeology genre. Well, that's mm -hmm. why I think Penny Dreadful was such a cool show. Yeah. And that really, uh, like gothic horror, yeah. is such a dead art right now. Right. So when you see something like Penny Dreadful, be able to pull it off and yeah. pull it off in an entertaining yeah. way, yeah. like that's what I was hoping for when they said reboot yeah. Universal Monsters. Yeah. I don't care if you go modern or old. I like yeah, the I yeah. like starting in a, in the past, but in a modern day twist on that, I still want to see gothic horror. Well, I, that's what I'm saying is like I think if they would have started the, they would have given the mummy a much longer life. They would have given the creature a much longer life. Mm -hmm. They would have given Doctor Frankenstein a much longer right. life. Right. Because what you're doing is they own that history, right? Yeah. But they didn't start from there. Neither yeah. with Benicio del Toro's um, Wolfman Wolf yeah. or this. So. You know, I think it would have played better had it, you know, like even if Tom Cruise was in the original Mummy, imagine that happening in the 30s. Now he's here. He's immortal. Yeah. Right. It makes more sense. Sure. It becomes more of a superhero. Yeah. So if Universal's listening and they want to hire me as consultant, they can't. No, but the point is, <laughs> um, you know, so, so, you know, for us, we live in this space all the time. And right. uh, I, I think what we're missing is... You know, like I always say, the reason Darth Vader is such a compelling bad guy is he's an ideologue. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. He's Bin Laden. Yeah. He believes in what he's doing. Sure. Exactly. And the death of all these innocent people is just a terrible consequence. He doesn't enjoy killing. He just does it because it's people are in his way. Right. People aren't doing their jobs. And so when he kills these people, it's for a better universe. Right, right, right. It's for right. a better galaxy because he believes... His ideas are better than your ideas. Right. Sure. When you start seeing some of the new stuff that's happening, it's like people, you know, people are just murdering for the sake of murdering. Because look at me, I'm a bad guy. I'm a bad right. guy. And, yeah. And it's like, to it. and the soul, the reasons are lost. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. Is that villains today are only bad be because that's how they're written. Yeah. And there's no, there's no reason or rhyme. Yeah. But if you look at like the original Doctor Frankenstein, you look at the original Creature from the Black Lagoon, yeah. the original Mummy there was something to drive them other than bad guys. Yeah, I mean, let's even talk about Jay Leto's... Um, Joker. I'm Jared, I'm Jared, Jared, Leto's, Joker. Jared Leto's Joker. Yeah. Versus, uh, you know, he, my terribly... I mean, I am so sad that yeah. uh, uh, Heath Ledger's gone. Yeah. The reason he... Like, Heath Ledger didn't play the Joker. Yeah. He played a guy 
who really was like that. He was, yeah. again, he was an ideologue. Right. He had such a belief that he was in the right. Right, right. Because of whatever abuses he suffered as a child. Yeah. He didn't say any of this, but we kind of, you know, that right. was the backstory, right? And that's what makes it even better. Yeah. He didn't even tell you the truth, and he was still yeah. scary and crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, in the end, um, Anyway, so I mean, I can go on. I, I, I can lecture about this stuff in a in a junior college, but we would you know, listen. <laughs> we, we would be there, front row. But, but the point is, is that um, you know, I I think bad people have to be created in their mind as good men. Mm. Sure, they have to as believe. Good men. It's wow. like you said, it's not, like, you have to believe what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. Magneto is great because he believes what right. he's doing. And Heath Ledger's Joker was great because he believed. Whereas Jared Leto's Joker was, look at me, just, I'm just, that guy. yeah, just to be like, you know, right, yeah, yeah, right, and and and, and the pe- he's a phenomenal actor, right? Yeah. That was just not the way to tell that story. Sure, well, there was so, no story. There was yeah. no Joker story. Yeah. Joker yeah. was just in it. Yeah, he was right. just exactly. there to be be crazy and exactly, and exactly, crazy so, flavor to scenes. So, again, yeah, this is my opinion. What do I know? They make the big bucks, you know. Yeah. I'm a publisher. <laughs> But of a bitchin' magazine, man. Thank you. Dude, thank really you cool. so much yeah. for taking the time to talk with us. We really, this is, this is like an honor, really. Oh, really? We yeah. are huge, here. You guys are long-time fantastic. fans, man. Yeah. yeah, we love those guys. Uh, a lot of fun, and we, we definitely hope we can uh, keep talking with them because they were super interesting. Yeah, and I got to say, like, we did a lot of interviews. You're not even hearing all of the interviews we did. Mm-hmm. Um not only because Rumi and I both love films, uh, both love, love 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 horror films so much, was that a cool interview? But like, you could tell that Phil A knows his stuff, and B is every bit as passionate about it as his audience. And I mean, what were we? Do you think we were with that guy for like thirty minutes or so? It Rushed didn't to feel leave. long at all. He was. It, yeah. I mean, he's the publisher of the freaking magazine and the whole thing. He's running that booth, but he took his time to talk to us. And I know that we, you and I could have talked to him all day it seemed like yeah. he could have talked to us i'm not saying that we're the most greatest interviewers or anything but he <laughs> i think he saw <laughs> i think that he saw fellow horror hounds in us and was like you guys are, are horror nerds you guys are all about these films you know your shit way back to creature from the black lagoon and beyond yeah um and we knew we know about the magazine as well yeah i think he he got that and kind of you know was was jazzed to talk to people who cared about the same stuff, you yeah. know, the, the same amount that he did. Way into it. Yeah, that was a, a real treat. And like you, like you said in the interview, it was, it was an honor to get to just spend that much time and get that much attention from from somebody who who just, you know, at the end of the day, we were just fanboys with microphones. Yeah, for sure, you know. And it's, it's uh, <laughs> to have him be that that interested in what we had to say and respond, you know, he, he wasn't just trying to get us the hell out of there. He wasn't just trying to, you know, plug his magazine and then yeah. go you know we were talking movies we were talking creatures we were talking anime comics yeah we got I was an like, anime yeah that you know that's fucking cool as hell you know that, that that that's cool and that's that really again that is kind of what comic-con is all about it's like what's your gag what's your deal mm-hmm. go there and do it you know yeah and uh there, there is there is a niche for everybody there there's a little bit of everything and something that i really realized was like everybody had was having different experiences. I didn't wait wait in any lines. Some people went and waited in lines and experienced all sorts of different things. And some people went there just to just to play the new video games. Some people just went to see the cosplay and go to the cosplay ball. We didn't even go to the to the ball. Like right. we, didn't, we didn't see. We you know we weren't really into that that side of things. And there's so many facets and so many ways to do it. And even though I think we did it right, I. I think every year you could you could 
go a completely different path and find something completely and not overlap even if you, you exactly. didn't want to there's yeah it was it was awesome san diego comic-con is so big it's so crazy we got an, another episode where we're going to be talking about more crazy stuff because get a little tired, you get a little cranky, and a little snicker bar. Um, <laughs> stuff started to get a little gnarly here and there. Sure, sure. Uh, Not all of it was flowers and roses and Spider-Man masks. And Spider-Man masks, yeah. Next episode is Fear and Loathing at San Diego Comic-Con. But in until next episode, Rumi, are you ready to initiate the launch sequence? Yeah, yeah. We got to count this down. All right, dude. All what right. do you got? Well, the things that we love about Comic-Con, we got number five. We have the toys. Uh, we've done more than one episode on this show of how much we love toys. Uh, Comic-Con shows you what's hot right now, what's going to be hot. You see prototypes, you see new shit, and specifically we got to give an extra nod to NECA because they have the licenses and the properties we love, and they're doing it right. Killing there is an Ed 209 on this table right now that Rumi bought that is badass as hell. <laughs> It should squeal like a pig if you put it upside down, though, like for when, you, <laughs> when you play when it falls down the stairs. Uh, yeah, NECA toys, man. Number five. <laughs> At number four, the cosplay, the costumes. They're incredible. We saw pink Wookiees. We saw Kylo Ren's. But the one that won the game was an animatronic fairy face that could blink and look at you with facial recognition and the wings would go up. It was incredible. So kudos to everyone who came out in costume. That's our number four. You got, yeah, you, you, you're going to see costumes if you go to Comic-Con. That's one of the best parts. Number three, we have original art. Doesn't matter if you're into comics or fantasy illustration or cartoons or what. It is at Comic-Con. I am a huge comic art fan. I was so excited to see and finally obtained, I didn't even tell you, I got a great Steve Dillon Punisher, but I got a Frank Miller Dark Knight piece. It's, I'm in love with it. And not only did I get something, <laughs> I ushered Rumi over the bridge. Rumi now has original art. I'm psyched. <laughs> yeah, I got a 28, 28 Days Later page. Oh, man. At number two, I got to go with the atmosphere. The atmosphere was electric there were so many fans everybody's there for something that they love everybody has a niche everybody has a thing and everybody was there just it, you could bump into anybody and talk to them compliment them find out what they like and everybody there had something in common and it was a love for pulp culture a love for being geeks being nerds and just yeah just celebrating it and that was amazing so many references off the cuff quotes jokes you know between people and everybody's just it's almost like when you go to like a great ball game or something like that and everybody's really happy to be there. Everybody, you know, is having a good time. Everybody's bullshitting and everyone's just like moving in the same direction. Comic-Con is very much like that. So I agree, man. It's electric, uh, which brings me to my number one, man. And this is, I got to tell you, this year was a special year for me because the first time I got to go with you, I knew it was going to be cool. I knew it was going to be fun. But my number one coolest thing was just doing a Rocketeer Comic-Con, it was, I mean, our voices were so hoarse. We were laughing so hard. It was hysterical. Um, there were so many things that wouldn't have been the same without you, Rumi. I mean, the sci-fi interview, I think I would have been funny and I think would have had a good time. But the two of us together, it's fucking ridiculous. It's just like, I don't care if they use it or not. We had such a funny-ass time saying that stuff. Um, 
there's no one I would have rather have interviewed Phil Kim at the, the 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 famous monsters booth because you have the same love that I do and the more you excited you get, the more excited I get. The more excited you get, the more excited I get. It turns into this like incredible Hulk rage of of excitement for nerdy shit, you know. Yeah. Um, like I was so excited to introduce you to original art, and like <laughs> you know, we recorded hours and hours of audio for this podcast. Yeah, there's so much shit we didn't record. Yeah, but we were just cracking each other up just nonstop, and it was just so fucking fun it was fun we had a blast and i can't thank you enough for getting the tickets getting things pulled together and you know getting me through my first comic-con unscathed and like cannot <laughs> wait cannot wait to take the podcast uh back i mean we went to san diego comic-con we destroyed it the rocketeers were in rare form <laughs> On, we were on oh, yeah. 24-7, For rare sure. form, killing it, and I, I I had a blast. So, yeah, number one, Rocketeers, Conquer Comic-Con. Yeah, if you don't believe yeah. us, check your sombrero because I bet you there's a pocket in it. All right, man, you ready for Blast Off? You got it, Remy. <laughs> Did it break? <gasps> I broke it. <laughs> We just broke the lamp above the table where we podcast. Oh, God. It's got a glass case. And when we did our Rocketeer hand slap, and then you could glue it. Kate will never know. Oh, my God. She's going to kill me. <laughs> just, to, just don't put one of Rufio's toys under it. We'll blame it on him. Are there pieces that are gone? Yeah. She was just telling me how much she liked this lamp. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you get it from? CB2. Do they have four? I don't know. I'll go find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would, like, look it up, see if they have more, and see, like, don't say anything. Yeah. And see if you can, like, go get one and replace it before she knows. Just, we'll just try goldfish mm -hmm. that shit? Yeah, that's true. She listens to this podcast. She'll know. <laughs> You're gonna fix it before we air it. <laughs> I mean, she's gonna be home in like two hours. Yeah, but as, as long as I, oh, you broke it good too. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say maybe she won't notice, but um, yeah, you want to make sure that doesn't split anymore because that if the rest of that falls, it's gonna shatter. Yeah, I'm just gonna take it down. Take it down and just um. Like fashion one on a saran wrap or something. I so love that we're know. still recording. <laughs> yeah, this. I know, we got it. Yeah, yeah, this is a new episode called ah, Shit. Shit, broke a lamp. Hey guys, thanks for listening to our first two episodes about San Diego Comic-Con. We had a blast, but San Diego Comic-Con isn't all fun and hunger games. Sometimes you get a little tired, sometimes your feet start hurting, you get a little hangry. You know what I'm talking about. Our next episode, Beer and Loathing in San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah, we cover the people who don't want to be there, the people who have to be there. We cover the times that Rumi and I got so tired from walking around, we just had to sit and chill and people watch and get farted on. Yeah, that's next. You won't want to miss this episode. It's great. But hey, guess what? 
instead of waiting two weeks to release it, how about we release it next week? That's right. Back-to-back weeks, we're releasing episodes. This upcoming Wednesday, we are releasing Fear and Loathing at San Diego Comic-Con. You don't have to wait. We're bringing it to you now because we want to stay relevant. (laughs) Ulterior motives. You can thank us later, but just check it out. Put it on your calendar. One week from now, a brand new Launchpad podcast, Fear and Loathing, San Diego Comic-Con. That's it. We're the Rocketeers. Catch you next time.